0: Welcome to the Commonwealth Club of California and today's program, the Michelle Miao Show. I'm John Zipperer, the Commonwealth Club's Vice President of Media and Editorial, and the co-host of Michelle Miao Show here at the Club in downtown San Francisco. Thank you for joining us. And now I'd like to introduce my co-host, and she is the host and the producer of the Michelle Miao Show, as well as a member of the Commonwealth Club Board of Governors. Her name, of course, is Michelle Miao. (laughs) Michelle, good to see you again.
1: It's great to see you. Thank you so much, John, and thank you to the Club for. Providing a platform to have these important conversations and inviting thought leaders from all over the world to join us it 's my pleasure to introduce to you our guest today she 's looking to make history by becoming the first Lao American judge in u s history. She is running for a uh, district court judge in Mecklenburg County, North Carolina. She immigrated here from Laos with her family as refugees, uh, having been sponsored by First Baptist Church. She now serves as the supervisor of the felony drug unit in the Public Defender's Office for Mecklenburg County. Let's welcome Sunny Panyanuvong Rubek to the program. Sunny, welcome.
2: Thank you so much. And good morning, San Francisco. Good morning, John. And good morning, Michelle. That was a mouthful for my last name. It is very long.
1: (laughs) Oh, I, I mean, you know, we always know uh, you're either Lao or Thai by how many letters are in your last name. So yeah, I'm glad that you added that you know <laughs> to, to your name, and it, you hadn't lost part of it. But it's always so heartfelt and uh, so powerful to hear you know the story of uh, our Lao American community and how we migrated to the United States. Let's hear let's hear yours. I know you've you've shared it a couple times in interviews. Um, but what do you remember or uh, of your journey here to the states?
2: Yes, and thank you for that michelle you're you're absolutely correct uh, you know, and that's the reason why I hyphenated my last name. I felt that it was very important, not just because you know having that name recognition for running for any sort of public office, but in general in the practice of law, I wanted to make sure that our community knew that I I was practicing law. I I felt that my last name was important to keep for that reason. Um, With that long last name comes a story that's probably quite familiar to you and your family. My parents came here in the early 1980s. My mom and dad were both in their early 20s when they essentially decided that they were going to trade the only country that they knew for just the idea of freedom. They had two toddlers and one infant. My sister was only a year old when they made the barefoot journey from Baxan to Vientiane. My mom's village is in Baxan. What was interesting and scary, um, I, I just could not imagine, because they took half of the siblings with them, and the other half remained in Laos to take care of our grandparents. We had a family of 16 kids and only eight survived. And oh. My aunt and my mom had a total of four infants and one, I'm sorry, four toddlers and one infant on this journey. And they were afraid that the communist soldiers would hear our laughter or our crying. I just can't imagine uh, the fact that a child's laughter or their crying would be a liability. So my mom gave me medication in order to keep us all quiet. Unfortunately, the medication she gave me was too much. And my aunt, lucky for me, noticed my limp body. And while we were on the wooden boat um, on the Mekong River, my aunt grabbed my limp body from my um, my mom's arms and submerged me in the Mekong River in order to revive me. And that was my journey to the United States. Um, I was only two years old, but the story that my parents tell me It's very powerful, and I think about it every time. And I think about it when and how we got to America.
0: We're obviously going to be spending this hour talking about you and and what you're doing here and what you're hoping to do here. But what was it like then getting settled in here? And what sort of life did your parents find when they came here?
2: We went to Olympia, Washington before we transferred to Modesto, California, where I grew up. Life was difficult, but also we were blessed to be able to be with a lot of other family members and a lot of other immigrants. So we were surrounded by the Lao community, which was helpful for my parents, but also it was a struggle because it forced them not to learn the English language as other families who immigrated without having the community contact.
1: You know, Sonia, I, uh, I asked my mom this, too, and after over 38 years of being here and, and being a Lao American, you know, when I, I asked her the question of, when you got here, did you ever feel like uh, I made a mistake, I want to go back? And she answered, um, nope, when I got here, I knew that it was home. I, I never had the feeling of wanting to go back. Sharing your story and the experience of coming here and, you know, being a refugee and now a Lyle, uh American. Or something American, um, that shapes you. You know, it shapes your perspective. It shapes how we create community, we create society. We are engaged and active. You know, here in this country. Um, how did it shape you? In you know your your background, and then getting into law and the politics.
2: Yes, and Michelle, I I don't know how you feel because I know that although our stories are similar, our experiences are very different. I was on a Zoom call a few nights ago. And when somebody described themselves as a 1.5 generational person, it really connected um, with me because although I was born in Laos, I was raised in America in an environment that was very much still very Lao in tradition and culture. And so I still speak the language I help out the community with the temple and everything. I feel very much American and Lao American all at the same time. And (laughs) I think it shapes me in understanding, um, you know, in terms of what education has provided, what opportunity has provided, but at the same time, making sure that I continue to uh, practice to respect and to learn, even even today, I continue to learn about our heritage and our culture and make sure that I preserve that in addition to all of the American cultures that has embraced me and that I have welcomed into my life.
0: You, you do talk in, in, on your, your campaign website as well about how the welcome you, your family received here really had an impact on you. Um, were there ever incidents where people were not welcoming, where people just looked at you and you know, was negative because of your race or because you were an immigrant or anything like that?
2: You know, I think we all have that experience to some degree. Um, You know, it's John, it's that is a it's a difficult and interesting question. What I can tell you is it doesn't just happen in terms of other people. Right. It also happens within your own community as well. Let me give you an example of what I meant. And I don't think that the intention was to be cruel. In fact, I think it was done out of love. My uncle told me as a young child who was still in high school when I told him I wanted to go to law school. He said, your hair is black, your eyes are brown, and you are a female. It is not your time to achieve such big dreams. And my dad also told me, out of love, you know, when I first became a paralegal and a legal secretary prior to that, he thought that was a very good accomplishment for me. And he did not want me originally to go to law school because he was afraid that society would hammer me down for trying to achieve too much too fast. And you, I had that in addition to not having somebody in the Lao community to talk to, to be a mentor. What is the LSAT like? What exactly does an attorney do? Um, how do I get there? It's that. And of course, when you're a child, just because you look different, um, other children may say things to you, but none of that, none of that. Um, I think I think it's your perspective and how you are going to to view what you perceive as criticisms um that are lodged at you. I took all of those things, even what my uncle said and what my dad said, as something that I was going to show them we can do this. And all the naysayers and people who were being negative to me, I took it as something else is going on in their lives.
1: Wow. You know what, Sunny, I mean my <laughs> Sharing your story, you know, my mom would do anything to to hear that I, I would become a lawyer. My dad, when they got here, he was uh, aspiring to become a lawyer. And so when I told her I wanted to go into media instead, that whole conversation of you can't, you have black hair, you're gay, you're, you know, a woman, um, that just doesn't happen in talk radio. Uh but here we are. And now you look to become the first Lao American judge. Uh but that's a great segue to ask you. I mean, why did you wanna get into law? Did did something happen or was there a particular reason? Uh, why law and politics?
2: Yes, and and, and, and I wanna answer that question, Michelle, but I, I do wanna say my dad is the opposite. He loves music, all the fun stuff and the culture stuff, you know, and I know that what Tukta does um in terms of singing, and I wanna tell you that. Had I gone into media or entertainment, my dad would be ecstatic. Growing up in Modesto, uh, you know, a a lot of, and and I don't know if you will agree with me on this, but in Modesto, California, I I tend to, in in my generation coming up, and we were very much involved in the community, I I tend to believe that a lot of the resources, although were given to male children in the family, more so than um, female children, you know, it's the women or the girls in our community tend to go to college and the boys did not. And some of the boys tend to get into more trouble. And I noticed that a lot of my brother's friends were going into the court system, whether it was for you know, school fights or marijuana or things like that. And as they were going through the court system, I didn't understand that process, but I would see it on a personal level and I would be interested in what would happen to them afterwards and that's where my original interest in the law developed it was the lack of knowledge and the curiosity about it and how it
0: works and how did that i mean there are obviously a number of avenues one could take then you know whether it's becoming a public defender or becoming an attorney or you know uh, practicing private law or of course eventually becoming a judge what did you follow the path that you expected at the, that early beginning where you realized, okay, I've got an interest in this or uh, did it change? I mean, what was, how, how did you kind of literally make the moves of, of becoming uh, involved?
2: John, there was no path. There was just a desire, a dream. When I tell you I wanted to be a lawyer, I didn't know what lawyers did. I knew that they worked for law firms and I knew how to print out my resumes. So I hand-delivered 100 resumes and walked door-to-door to to every single law firm in Modesto, California, and asked them if I can answer their phones. That's how it started. And, uh, you know, originally when I thought, well, I'm going to go to law school, and then afterwards, I want to do immigration. I want to practice immigration law. You know, I wanted to do that. But then the great thing is, once you go to law school, you have these opportunities of doing summer internship programs. And I interned with the Mecklenburg County Public Defender's Office. The minute that I got there, I knew exactly um, the reason why I went to school. You know, it it felt just like home. I knew that I wanted to practice criminal defense for a few years. And here, here I am, almost 11 years later. happiness (laughs)
1: happiness <laughs> if you haven't seen the film you should you know, featuring will smith just not in you know stocks or whatever we're talking about uh becoming a lawyer and now hopefully judge let's get into Mecklenburg county and the position itself so north carolina actually is the first state to adopt partisan court elections and this is fairly recently i think just a couple years ago and um you know, this might have some impact on the candidate. Of course, you're running as the Republican candidate, but what about you know the position itself and the role uh, you know of the court system? Curious, just to hear your perspective on this, since not very many states. Uh, again, like I had just mentioned, North Carolina is the first state to adop- adopt the partisan court elections.
2: You know, I don't, I'm not sure if we are the first, Michelle. When when I when I when this happened, I was curious as well, because you're right. North Carolina was nonpartisan for over 20 years. And in 2018, a uh, party affiliation was added to judicial ballots. So I was curious are other states, how other states operate in it. And it appears that about 20 other states have party affiliation, including Alaska, Illinois, uh, Tennessee, and Texas, and, and a few others. And um, I, I was very confused in 2018 when that happened and and, and why it happened. And uh, um, I I can tell you, though, that once it the party affiliation was placed, um, I I can tell you now that I, I, I do know the breakdown of the district court, essentially. Right now we have 21 district court judges. 20, as as one seat, is, needs to be appointed by the governor because um, uh, the judge retired early. And out of the 20 judges that's currently sitting on the bench, um, we have five Republicans and 15 Democrats on the bench. And I, you know, it, it's still fairly new here in Mecklenburg County. I, I certainly hope, I certainly hope that party affiliation Will not affect the judicial branch you know I, I think that judges hear cases from all of mecklenburg county. um you hear the cases regardless if you're unaffiliated Democrat or Republican, and I think that the law is the law, and it should be applied equally to every single person.
0: Michelle and I were talking about this issue before the program, and I was saying i my home state where I grew up was Wisconsin where they have very politicized races for judges especially in the state supreme court it's allegedly non-partisan but of course everyone knows which candidate you know the republicans are supporting this candidate the democrats are behind this candidate um it you know it in that case it wouldn't make any difference if they literally came out and said i'm the republican candidate for you know this supreme court seat um but before we get kind of into uh further on this tell us more especially you know all of us are from outside of, of your state tell us more about Mecklenburg County what are you know the, what are the demographics what are the crimes that you 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 know you saw up close what uh, you know what are the people involved in all this stuff that you decided you wanted to serve in in a judgeship
2: Mecklenburg County um, the demographics uh, you know and the, the the latest one that i was able to find john was 2013-2014 and uh, I, I was wondering that, I mean, you know, I, of course, have lived here for over 14 years. Um, and it breaks down to just Mecklenburg County alone has about 40, uh, 43% white, 31% African-American, and about uh, 20% uh, other, including Hispanics and Asians right? And that's, that's the breakdown in terms of crime and what I have been able to um, see while at the public defender's office. I started with the misdemeanor unit. So it's all misdemeanor crimes from simple possession of um, marijuana to uh, assaults uh, on a government official, assault on a female. And uh, then I transferred to property crimes Habitual felon crimes, which California I think you would be more familiar um, with that is three strikes you out and to my current position in supervising the felony drug unit. So right now, the crimes that I see typically are either people who are using drugs, all kinds of controlled substances, from heroin to uh, um, fentanyl, marijuana, cocaine, to um, allegations and of them trafficking in, in controlled substances.
1: I think that also um, is a perfect time for us then to bring up, you know, the the discussion about the need for diversity in these positions. You have a very unique, you know, pathway. We should say, which earlier you said there there really was no no, you know, pathway to you becoming a lawyer now potentially a, a judge, but you worked in the public defender's office. You were you you know stories of people's real experiences and their, their life. Right. And so um, not only that, but when we talk about diversity and we're talking about people's lives, it's important to also include, you know, folks that are women or people of color. Um, So let's talk a little bit about that. Like even if we started out the conversation and having this new uh, party declaration, I mean, what else would you bring to the table um, as a, as a woman uh, whose, whose family were refugees, as a person of color, uh, you know, and all that. All that makes who, you who you are. Yes, Michelle. So Mecklenburg
2: County, with the 20 seats that in district court that I was telling you about, we have, um, we, you know, and then I just told you, John, the the breakdown of, of uh, the population and what Mecklenburg County looks like, we have, 12 women um on the bench eight men we have eight african americans and 12 um, caucasian americans one who came from poland and uh you know michelle I, I think what i am i know in fact i know what i bring to the bench and i know it's corny to say but I, i'm what what i bring to the bench and what i mean by that is. Not only am I an immigrant, right, I'm one that defines myself as a 1.5 generational. And yes, I am a um, public defender. And as I just indicated to you, I, you know, um, the party affiliation has that as well in the breakdown of that. But I'm an individual who speaks a second language. Not many of our judges right now speak a second language. It makes me sensitive to the issue and the importance and the awareness that if someone comes before you who who speaks another language, I just had someone who only speaks Polish, uh, they must know the law and their options in their language if it's the only language that they understand. And even if you bring a Polish interpreter, that interpreter may not speak the same tone or dialect that they understand. I caught wind of this and brought someone out of New York so that my client could understand on a misdemeanor offense because it's important because of collateral consequences of that. I am an individual who uh, has a family um, who is dedicated to uh, public service. My brother was in the U.S. Marines He has service connection, um, you know, so I understand mental health after um, being in the military. I have a sister who is public educator for over 16 years. I understand that CMS students here during the winter, that some students do not have coats during that time. I understand the school system may be their only safe source to get meals, to feel safe. Um... I am an individual who uh, has personal family members who I helped get off the streets because they lived as a homeless person for three to four years, and what that does to each and every single family member. I'm a person who uh, financially, it was difficult. I'm the first in my family to graduate from college. I went to community college first before transferring to UCLA, when I went to law school, I went to historically black college. That's where my education comes from. I'm a family. I you know, prior to that in second grade, I know what it's like to repeat the second grade because English is your second language. you know, but despite all of this, despite the fact that my family had section 8 housing, we collected food stamps, we had all of that, I'm also someone who has a juror's doctorate hanging on the wall. So for all of those things, it's who I am. It's not just my public defender experience. It's my life experience. That's what I bring to the bench.
0: Of course, running for office in a year in which racial justice is front and center. I mean, nationwide, even globally, it's spread. Um, and and people in both parties have, have been out protesting and and, uh, you know, announcing the need for change. What can you in a judge's role do? um, What, you know, what what makes a judge's role a a particular uh, uh, important place in this whole justice discussion?
2: John, it's been front and center for my whole entire career. It's only front and center as it relates to national politics. But I've watched the roles of judges in the last 10 years. You know, I, I, I give this example because it's, it's the one that's the most recent that I saw a particular judge in Mecklenburg County recognize that at the beginning of the week, there was a defendant who came in to the courtroom and was offered a certain plea offer that a few days later, there was a different defendant. And the only difference, and it was the judge who mentioned it, was who the defendants were. The criminal record, she said, was very similar. She said their crimes were practically identical. And she wanted to know why the plea offer was so different. I think it takes judges who will speak up when they see this and ask the questions that are appropriate when they see injustice in this manner. Um, Just small examples like that. But it starts, John, um, that that is, you know, in criminal justice, it's not just what happens in court, right? And and I'm speaking specifically, um, because we're we're talking about crimes and stuff like that. District court judges will hear multiple um, sorts of cases from small claims to family law. But for our purpose I'm gonna I'm gonna um, continue to stick to criminal criminal law. as you know in order to get to court something happened well before then right It's when police officers decide when they stop someone for a tag or um, expired registration whatever the basis is did they, how did they use their discretion? Did they decide to issue a citation or did they decide to arrest? And all of that has consequences, right? Because if you issue a citation, the person does not go through the jail system. They don't lose their jobs. They don't lose their cars. They don't lose, you know, their children And in, in some circumstances. Because what if there was no, they were on their way to pick up their children. You never know. And then when you get to the court system, when the judge is setting bell, whether that person gets out, right? Because at the time where the judge is setting bell, the person is charged with a crime. They are not convicted of crime. And then when you get to the DAs, what did the DAs do in terms of the offers that they're making, in terms of the programs that they're making, and who gets the benefit of certain programs and who does not? And then when it comes to the public defender's office, you get to your attorney, and did your attorney do a sufficient job advocating for you? Do they have their own internal bias and prejudice? Are they treating each and every single one of their clients equally and properly? And then when you get to the phase of the judge doing sentencing, it's the same analysis. And it proceeds. It proceeds when the clients go into custody, right? Who's getting work release? Who is getting the programs, whether it's drug education in court, it's the GED program. Who gets to be on top of that line? It's a whole holistic approach. It's never isolated to just one department.
1: Thank you so much for that, Sonny. And and John and I talk about this all the time, too. It's just so important, you know, that we understand how things work if we want change, if we want to fix things that aren't working. Uh, but speaking of crime, while we're on this topic, uh, you know, th- there's just there is an ongoing national conversation right now about uh, criminal uh, justice reform. And we don't have to get into it, but I would love to hear your thoughts on crime and, and reducing crime or, and or recidivism, you know, itself. Um, and, and you had mentioned, you know, restorative justice or much more you know, healing strategies. And so if you could speak just a little bit about that. And uh, I think you have a great perspective if you were to become judge.
2: Yes. And, and Michelle, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I'm all about the law. What does the law allow the judge to do? is the judge following the law? Because I'm also a firm believer that judges, that that's, that's our role, first and foremost, is to follow the law and to apply it equally um, to the people who come before before us. And there, there's a great statute that guides judges. And it tells you, I mean, the title of that statute is, what is the purpose of sentencing, okay? And I read this um, constantly and a lot of people don't know, and it's it guides you, It's, it's, it's it guides you completely. It, the primary purpose of sentencing a person convicted of a crime is basically to impose a punishment commensurate with the injury of the offense, okay? So proportionate, has cause, and you must take into account. It doesn't tell you, right? The, the law doesn't tell you what percentage, but the judge should take into account Factors that may diminish or increase the offender's culpability, it is factors to protect the public by the person who offended. They're factors um, towards, and it says it, right? The purpose of sentencing is towards rehabilitation and restoration to the community as a lawful citizen. There's an obligation towards helping this individual to come back to society and to be productive and then to provide general deterrent from basically criminal behavior in the future, right? So yes, it is about law and order, but what exactly does that mean? You know what I mean? An individual who is charged with a drug crime, you can. And there's a grid that every judge must follow. You can send everybody to prison. How? What, but what does that really do to society? Is it helping society? Are we looking towards um, rehabilitation? Because when the person gets out, they're still going to be amongst us. They're going to be your neighbor, Michelle. They're going to be your neighbor, John. What have we done to help this individual become productive once they return?
0: Have you, I mean... In the time you've you've been practicing, um, you must have seen examples where things were handled poorly, or where where people really were treated unfairly in the system. Can you give us some examples of this, and and also some sense of maybe is this frequent, or are these rare cases that um, injustice kind of ha- is is perpetuated?
2: You know, John, it's it's not it's a question that I can answer, but I don't think I'm the I'm the right person to answer. I think that question is best answered by individual defendants. I have clients who went to prison and thanked me because I fought for them, because I wasn't the lawyer who pushed them to make a decision they originally did not want to do. It really isn't necessarily about the outcome from my experience and practice as how you are treating people that makes the biggest difference. The one example that I can give you that I saw, you know, people always ask you, and it's a question, what is, you know, what is injustice? We know it because we feel it, right? And the biggest question is, what is justice? What is justice to me? Um, An example that happened in court was a young person walked into the courtroom and he was wearing a green jumpsuit. That green jumpsuit tells you, John, that that individual is a juvenile. He is charged with a crime, a misdemeanor crime called assault on a female. In order to be assault on a female, you must, by law, be 18 or over. You must be 18 or older. The person walked in the courtroom, sat with his lawyer. The DA called the case to trial never looked at the person who they were trying to realize they can't do that. The judge noticed that, of course, the defense attorney knew it. She looked up in the middle of the trial, walked over and said, how old is your client? And our response was, how old do you think he is? And the case got dismissed. To me, justice is when you are seen. If you're not seen, nothing starts.
1: Sunny, do you feel that, you know, when you if when in, if you do make the transition from a public defender to a judge, um, you know, part of me also thinks that we'd be losing a, an incredible individual as a public defender helping the community, uh but perhaps, you know, the the transition to a judge and making the decision would be even much more powerful. But even that statement alone, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I mean, is that, you know, is it what point or in your career were you like, I I really want to be a judge now? Um, And, and, you know, I just would love to hear from the beginning when you said I'd really like to be a lawyer. I don't know what lawyers do, but I really want to be a lawyer. Uh, And now, you know, uh, obviously you've got a passion for the community and you really want to be a judge. I
2: I do. And before going to law school, an attorney um, helped me uh, get into North Carolina Central University, and he was running for superior court judge. In the process of campaigning myself out of a job, he helped, um, you know, he helped me in developing my passion, my knowledge in terms of what judges will be doing and what the process is. And I thought, you know, after practicing for a few years, I will eventually want to run to become judge. And that desire increased as other judges throughout the years stopped me and said, you should consider running for judge. You should consider doing so, not only because you are qualified to do it, but it's because it's important. You know, it's just... Just as having a, a balanced court, multiple people from all different party affiliation, having a diverse court that represents the community is important. We, in the years in which I practice Michelle, in the ten years and I've had colleagues who've practiced for over thirty years, I've only heard of Judge Diaz, who's no longer in Mecklenburg County. But John, I have never taken a case before a Hispanic American or an Asian American judge ever. Hmm. And, you know, when you ask me, you know, you know, and thank you for that compliment that I I would be, you know, you'd be, we'd be losing somebody at the public defender's office. Um, I also feel that there's a calling and that there's, there's a purpose and, you know, the goal is to get on the bench, but Michelle, the fact that I'm running, the people who have reached out to me the students not just asian american but hispanic american you know teenage kids said thank you thank you for doing this it is so important to us it's a win just by trying
0: to get away from i guess all the legal questions and 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 just to go more into the campaign What's it like campaigning during a pandemic? Are you <laughs> are you selling campaign facial masks? Are you able to get out and shake hands, or, or is it all electronic and, and Zoom meetings?
2: We are selling absolutely nothing. But if you will wear a sunny for a judge mask, I will send you one. Um, <laughs> we have we, we, we have we have everything. And campaigning. This is I'm a first time candidate, and I feel completely blessed, and loved. I can tell you, John, that the positive feedback that I have received greatly outweighs any and all negative, and the negative has been probably less than 10 percent. I it, it It warms my heart, and it humbles me to know that mine is a local, isolated, little, tiny, very important judicial race, but we are a small, small, race that most people don't even know or will vote for judges, but I have gotten donations from 26 different states from the U.S. A lot (laughs) of the donations come from young adults, from communities who say, we are behind you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for paving the way. There was an individual who contacted me. He actually fought in the secret war he couldn't have children. He called me and he said, I want you to know that all the reasons why I fought was to give you this opportunity. And I am so proud of you for taking it. Wow. And it's it, it's the support has been overwhelming, John.
1: Uh, you know, Sunny, I think that that um, ties into a new time, a new movement in American politics. I mean, over the last few years, we've seen a record number of women and uh, people of color, you know, uh, just people running for the first time for anything running. And so the, the engagement is there. And so do you feel that 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 is indeed part of your, you know, uh, campaign as well? And I mean, looking at pictures of what you do on social media, you're at every, uh, you know, community opportunity, of course, Uh, with the pandemic and everything happening, I'm not saying you're, you know, not distancing with distance, I notice, but making masks for nurses and and things like that. And if you could speak a little bit about, you know, what I'm talking about this, this movement, do you feel you're a part of that?
2: And it's not just, you know, when when we talk about diversity, you know, people always talk about uh, racial aspects of it, just so people in San Francisco can understand a little bit of Um, Charlotte, North Carolina, Mecklenburg County, we have an African American mayor, African American police chief, um, um, the head of the sheriff's department, right, is African American. The DA is African American. Our courts are, um, you know, eight, uh, eight out of the 20 are African American. So to me, right, of course, we don't have any Asian American or Hispanic American, but it's not, Our race that just brings the diversity. It's our life experience. I want to see more individuals who have a different perspective, whether they were refugees or came here, you know, under a different status, um, different backgrounds in terms of your religion. All of these things make our community um, diverse and fulfilled. We bring all of it not just by race, but us as an individual. That's why I said, I know it sounds corny, but I'm what I bring to the court. Mm-hmm.
0: You, you mentioned earlier about, you know, of course, creating your own path into your career and not having mentors within the Lao community. Um, I assume you're a mentor to others in the Lao community now. You've, you, like you said, that they can look at you and say, hey, I can get a juris doctorate on, the, on my wall as well.
2: Not only am I a mentor, this process and the people who I have met, John, and it's not limited to Asian Americans or Lao Americans, I feel a deep appreciation and a deep obligation to give back. It warms my heart when a 20 year old college student donated $20 to my account and said it's not a whole lot of money but it's a lot to me. And it meant so much to show you support. That $20 meant more to me than you can imagine. Because someone is willing to reach out, they don't know me. Yes, we probably share a last name that's half of the alphabet, although it's different. (laughs) Um, It, you know, so much has been given to me during this process that I feel myself. Nobody's saying or putting the pressure on me. I feel myself that I have a responsibility to do more for our community, and that means our community at large be at large
1: now we're coming full circle uh you know from the beginning of the conversation uh, as we're wind down um how do you how does your family feel about you now and your you know your path to becoming a judge um and uh, having successfully you know, given back to our 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 country, or I guess Mecklenburg County by serving as a public defender.
2: Well, my siblings say you're finally out of school, so that's <laughs> really good. That's the first thing. And we, you know, my we we're a family who gives back to the community naturally. You know, as I said, my sister is currently helping other ESL teachers um, with their curriculum and their criteria. She was in the CMS school system for for quite a while. My brother, um, he served in in the Marines right now. He's focused on raising his family. Unfortunately, we just have my, my father, as my mom passed away my first year of college. But um, dad, Michelle, is very proud of me. Uh, but I think that he, as someone who loves entertainment, who loves karaoke, and the more fun side of life. I think the fact that he's getting attention through, you know, the campaign is what he's most excited about. But he's he still doesn't understand why couldn't you become a singer?
1: <laughs> I, it's not too late. It's not too late. It could be, you know. Uh, no, I, I
2: think I would scare away all of your fans.
1: <laughs> you could moonlight as a singer, you know, the uh, at, uh, uh, at nighttime when you're not focused on cases are making these important decisions Only if
0: <laughs> are, are you enjoying the campaign and is it going is the the experience of campaigning what you expected or is it has it turned out differently
2: it is the best it's it, it's it's one of the best experiences of my life and i would recommend that everybody run for office at least once
0: wow
1: Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I'd be so scared. Um, you know, Sonny, there is one question, a really important one about the role of judge uh, as other elections will happen throughout the, the country. You touched on it earlier um, and, and I'm not sure about Mecklenburg County, but when, if you are elected, you know, what is the what is the term um, that you would serve and then your thoughts on, you know, term limits for for the you know judge position
2: uh for a district court judge uh the term would be 4 years and then i would have to run for reelection in 4 years if there were term limits and that's the law for judicial um you know races i would completely be fine with that i would um i would i i i would i think that you know even as a public defender what, what i said was this I don't think I don't think you should go into any occupation and think I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. I think the work that you do and the people who support you and want you there should dictate that. If you're not doing the job to serve the community and years have gone by and the passion isn't there or the ability to do the work to its fullest is no longer there. Then I think it's time to do something else.
0: And where are we in the stage? Obviously, the elections in November. It's a it's a partisan uh, campaign. So uh, has there has the primary already taken place?
2: I didn't have a primary, John. Oh, okay. Yes, but it has. It already has taken place.
0: Okay. So it's down to it. So it's, it's you. And there's another candidate, I assume a Democrat. That's correct. Okay.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, well, we're excited for you now back to the question of being in it, making an impact for the Lao community, but making history. I don't know. Does that, is that pressure at all? <laughs> I welcome
2: the pressure, Michelle. I, I welcome this challenge. You know, like I said, uh, it's, The fact that I am doing this, right, I think is so important. You know, I I hope more, you know, we have a lot of students who went to law school who are practicing from Mexico, Ecuador, and all of these other countries. I hope that when I, you know, if if I end up practicing in Mecklenburg County for much longer as an attorney, I hope for the opportunity to bring a case before uh, different judges, before different judges for, for any and all circumstance. My clients' lives and their situations are so unique and so diverse. I want to be able to have the opportunity to put them in the best circumstance. And the only way that that happens is if I have options in terms of the circumstance that I place them in front of. that I
0: placed them in front of. Um, When do you think there will be a president who will appoint you to the Supreme Court?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I don't know, John. I don't know.
0: Well, okay, here's here's an easier question or maybe a more difficult one, but but a real one. Uh, Talking about potentially being the first Lao American U.S. judge or judge in the country, when did you learn that there had never been one before and what did that... Strike you as that's a challenge, or that's a disappointment that 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 hasn't been achieved yet? I mean,
2: both. You know. And if, but you know, if, if you look at it, um, Michelle, when when I looked at the statistics last, there's less than five percent, John, five percent Laotians who practice in all of the United States. I, I, in in, in my years of practice, John, I've heard of two other Lao Americans in North Carolina who are practicing, and I've only met one of those individuals. So in North Carolina, out of all of us, it seems to only be less than 10 if, and I'm given that as a, a, you know, a high number, 10 attorneys who practice in North Carolina. I was so excited to learn that we have Judge Tai Vang, who is Mong, who is on the bench in Stanley County. I mean, I, I was surprised when I learned it and, and it made me very proud.
1: I think the the question that um been staying uh, you know being a, a representation of success for Lao Americans uh, especially second generation third generation I mean, I'll speak candidly and and my even my own experiences and what I've seen um, in the Lao community Lao American community here in California having grown up in the Central Valley as well Sunny uh, but our uh, you know parents Refugees coming here was very hard, like you had mentioned. Language barriers, you know, access to education necessarily wasn't easy, and healthcare, and you know, um, would take jobs. the The very traditional story is of many folks who you know move to another country and start a brand new life, uh, and so this is almost like what you would become is a uh, a success story perhaps even a you know maybe a blueprint of where we could keep building power sustain that kind of power and resources to become successful ourselves and so if you could you know have some some thoughts uh or some words for young lao americans you know what success means and not necessarily the traditional words of go to school and get a degree what that's exactly what you did (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but there's also that really, you know, hardworking thing that you did where you knocked on doors. Um, and, and I think that uh, that is incredible and that is remarkable. But if you could you know, give us some words of encouragement and advice for young Lao Americans.
2: Michelle, I want to first say that you are a success and I am a success despite what happens in November. Right. Um the, the process, the door knocking, uh, all the connections that I've made is a success. The people who have touched my heart. Um, the, the words of encouragement that I would give anyone, no matter how old you are, because going to North Carolina Central University, the, the age group of, of the law students varied. We had someone there in their 50s. No matter if you're young, or if you're old, I think the biggest lesson in life is to do it and not be afraid to fail. Something that's culturally, even with the Lao community, right? We don't do things because we're afraid. Sometimes the process of what we do, the fact that you didn't achieve what you originally thought was the goal, or what we would define as failure, is the lesson. It is the path. And I think our fears, you know, with our experience and everything else tends to stop us from achieving. Go out there, do it. And if you fall, I think that's okay, too. <laughs>
1: that's so incredible. We got about 10 minutes left, Sunny, and this was not part of the questions that I, uh, uh, And and John sent you to prep and and we do this. I think it's so great with any candidate because it takes you away from your your speaking points. And part of, you know, I think being a candidate is getting to know you, although you've been so uh, upfront about (laughs) who you are. We have a good sense of who you are. Um, But let's have some fun for the last 10 minutes and uh, 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 ask you some some questions that are a little more personal.
0: I thought you were going to ask her to sing.
1: Uh, My wife is here, so Sunny mentioned uh, my wife Tukta earlier, and uh, she's a singer. We could bring her up, and then we could we could do a whole you know pop duo here. John and I will be rap artists. Uh, We're we're very much into rap, Uh, (laughs) but no. um, Let's start off with a right idea. This is how we're going to get
2: me on the bench on November third.
1: Right idea. Uh, Let's start with food, and 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 Lao food. You know, favorite Lao
2: dish (sighs) tamahong papaya salad by far
1: spicy traditional papaya salad with the uh fish the you know exponential fish paste the (laughs) yeah
2: definitely definitely awesome if you have a spice scale of zero to 10 i needed at least a 20 please
1: (laughs) wow wow And, and and same for your husband ben mr rubik
2: you know, when we go to Thai Taste, he will, um, they have a scale of one to five. He'll order a three, and we do do fresh chili. So it's a little spicier. So it's really authentic spice. That's pretty I'll good. A, yes. So it's he, decent. He passes,
1: John.
0: <laughs> I guess staying along those lines, popular culture, what uh, movies, what books, what, what, what inspires you, and what do you maybe just enjoy?
2: Because I saw this the other night, I also recommended it to many people. I think I also recommended it to michelle um the The last documentary that I saw is the, this little um, land of minds was terrific. I, I highly recommend it so for me i 'm all about documentaries. If you ask me about movie stars and things like that i I, I couldn't name one, but mm-hmm. if it 's a documentary and you suggest it, I will be watching it in a week.
0: One documentary that Michelle and I uh, saw just recently when we interviewed the filmmaker and the, uh, the focus of it, uh, Maria Ressa is a, a Filipino-American journalist down in the Philippines who has uh, drawn the ire of President Duterte there. Um, and it's a great insight into her, her crusade for press freedom. Um, it's called A Thousand Cuts. And uh, it, it, uh, where can she find it?
1: Uh, PBS Frontline. And so out April 7th, but if you go to the, the website, A Thousand Cuts Film, um, they're doing this really neat thing. Speaking of all of us move, having to move forward in a uh, world of a pandemic, yeah. um, doing virtual screenings in which they paired up with theaters, in, you know, all over the country. And you still got to watch the film virtually, but the money that you pay helps also raise money for the theater, your local theater. And I think, you know, that's just so brilliant. Um, to do that while theaters are, you know, super impacted.
2: I, I did my first showing in, in in that way through Zoom. And I thought at first, this is kind of a, a strange way to watch a movie, but the experience that I had doing it was so different and unique. I, I, I quite enjoyed the Zoom uh, watching of a movie with over 130 strangers, you know, at home. I, you know, I, I thought it was a, a great experience, and if you have not done that, I, I highly
1: recommend it.
0: And no one's sitting in front of you or blocking the screen or kicking your seat from behind. It's much nicer.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, so, Sunny, when you when you win, <laughs> if elected, or you know, the, you, when you find out, um, and that happens, what? How will you celebrate?
2: I would first have to thank everyone who supported me. And second, I think I would have to sleep. Yeah. (laughs) And and celebrate in that order. Yes.
1: Does that apply to your husband as well? How's how's it been for him, you know, during your this campaign? You're running for the first time, you've been married for over ten years. So this is new for him as well.
2: Very new. And for him, he is gonna celebrate by being able to see our carpet. Because right now We can't see an inch of our carpet from paraphernalia down there, from brochures and yard signs and everything. He cannot wait to have his home back.
1: (laughs) Um, Okay, staying on, getting to know you a little bit better, you know, personally. So Lao food, and then uh, if not Lao food, what else? Vietnamese? Yeah,
2: I know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I ring my... (laughs) No, no, that's so great. And uh, it, what do you do to relax and and unplug?
2: I run. And before this, Michelle, uh, you know, with the gyms closing, I did something very unique. We had a judge who retired. She was known as the yoga judge. And for about a year, I was doing aerial silks. And that's, what's unique. And that's what I, I do for fun.
1: You mean, wait, I'm uh, aerial silks. Yes. We went from running to aerial silks, not, not necessarily like uh, gymnastics on aerial silks, right. Or n- never mind.
2: <laughs> it's, it's all, it, it's, it's, it's like a, being part of a circus act. It's, it's a lot of fun yeah. and there's studios nearby. It's great for upper body strength and exercise. And the group that attends, you know, it's it's very diverse, uh, dynamic and very energetic in terms of individuals. I love it because the age ranges. I'm completely inspired by the student who is close to her 60s and the moves that she does on the silks. I can't even copy because she's far advanced than I am.
1: Oh, my gosh. That's incredible. Um, I'd never heard of that before. I'm gonna to have to go look that up. Now. I've only yeah, That's I've only thing.
2: seen it. Not, not only do you have to look it up, but you will have to text me when you try your first class.
1: Sunny, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I know you like to travel, and we can't travel right now. I mean, one, you're super busy trying to win uh, an election here or uh, uh, win as judge, but it, and the pandemic. But uh, as soon as we can, where are you going?
2: We are going to go to New York because I promised my niece and nephew. That I would take them there. It will be our first trip together, and we had to cancel it because of COVID. But it's it's on our list, and it's the very first uh, destination spot.
0: I, I have to the, something you just said made, reminded me of this. So I've got a colleague who recently got a some summ- not a summons, but you know a notice of jury duty, and she was <laughs> surprised that they're still holding in person court cases. Um, but and apparently they are. Are, are they doing, this is in California, of course, are they Are you still going into court and holding cases? Are they doing things via Zoom? How, how is the court system there dealing with this pandemic?
2: I understand that family court has tried some of the electronic means. Criminal court, we are still going into court, but we are not issuing um, jury summons. Jury trials uh, are not starting up, in my understanding, and if it does, like right now, I think we're thinking September, Um, But I am going into court uh, during admin. This is my admin week. I've been in court every day, practically this week, and it's for administrative purposes only.
1: Last question for you, Sunny, and that is really just uh, leaving us with some some final thoughts. I know you've already given us some words of of hope and also uh, encouragement for our own, creating our own paths um, but perhaps, you know, and this has to do with the, if uh, if elected and then kind of looking at um, even the, the, the short term future. I, I walked in to the club today and I wanted to know what John's plans were for 2021. But I think we're all just trying to look forward, look to the future, look to the near future. Uh, so leave us with some final thoughts.
2: COVID has taught me really to appreciate the small things from being able to hug, you know. Shake a person's hands and all of that. The final thought that I would give is, is just a deep appreciation with all the negativity that we feel and everything that's going on, and, and questions of do we fit? Um, I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for opportunities such as this. You know, the fact, Michelle, that you would invite me to your platform. Knowing my background, knowing the party affiliation, everything like that, and you would still invite me to the table. I am sincerely thankful. John, it is a Thursday morning over there. You don't know who I am. This is the first time that I've met you. I sincerely thank you for your time. I thank all the people and all the strangers who have sent me words of encouragement, you know, telling me they are proud. Um, who have sent those donations it means so much and I just want to thank my community I want to thank people who are on the opposite sides of me because no matter what at the end of the day we still live in the same community we still want the best for our families and saying thank you I think goes a very long way and that's all I want to say. Oh, is thank
1: you. That is so great. But and, and just to remind everybody, that's what the club is all about. These nonpartisan conversations and uh, bring thought leaders from all over uh, different backgrounds. And so we can learn from each other and hopefully make change, make it a better time and a better place. Uh, Sunny Panyanuvong Rubik for Judge in Mecklenburg County. Sonny, thank you so much for joining us here on the program. Sonny in 2020, or you could, if you want to find out more about Sonny and her campaign, uh, look up Sonny for Judge. I want to thank you for joining us here this, this morning. I know the club has several other programs throughout the day. And John, I will leave you with the last words.
0: I would say don't forget to join us tomorrow. Michelle and I will be here talking about the battle for Portland. And then later that afternoon, we'll have a political roundtable that I'll be hosting. So you can find out all about that as well as find our past programs and audio and video and more at commonwealthclub.org. Have a wonderful and safe day. Thank you.